Listener Production. There's mounting pressure on the government to backflip on their porn policy. The Royal Commissioner, uh, Robert Fitzgerald, come and speak out against this. Uh, We've seen Jess Hill, Professor Flood, Chanel Contos, Grace Tame have all joined in the chorus, young and old, saying, hey, no, we need this. So the background to this is that the eSafety Commissioner recommended a pilot program for age verification on porn so that children aren't exposed to porn way too early. But the government's not ready to do that. They say they need to find out more information and see what the porn industry is doing in this space. And that's led to a big pushback. An open letter signed by three dozen leading advocates for child safety are saying, look, we need to do something on age restriction right now. Clearly, privacy will still be a big question mark, given it could require photographic face ID. And that's one of the issues we'll discuss in our interview in the briefing. First, here are today's headlines. Hello, it's Antoinette here on Friday the 22nd of September and there is really big news in the media world today. Billionaire Rupert Murdoch has announced he is stepping down as chairman of both Fox Corporation and News Corp after almost 70 years. So Rupert is 92 and he began his media empire in 1954, starting from a single newspaper in Adelaide. So, who will take over? Perhaps unsurprisingly, it's his eldest son, Lachlan Murdoch, who will become the sole chairman of News Corp and continue as executive chair and chief executive of Fox come November. Yeah, so massive news. The succession is complete. Um, His father, Keith, gave him the business in Adelaide to start with, and then he built this global empire, and now he's passing it on to his eldest son. There are two daughters that are older than Lachlan, They are obviously not in the running. It will go to Lachlan and not James, the younger brother, who was a bit more creative, started out early in the music business and clearly doesn't have the drive that Lachlan sees in Rupert. And I also think when it comes to the son, James, yes, he's more creative, but he's also been critical of News Corp and and Fox Corporation from my understanding of some of the ways in which they covered climate change and other issues. Yeah, He's more progressive in his political views, basically. So in announcing um, this big handover, Rupert talked about his love of freedom and fighting for freedom and not working for the elites, even though he is one. And I think Lachlan is much more aligned with Rupert's political values, for sure. Yeah, look, I'm going to quote what Rupert said um, in that memo to staff, because he said that elites have open contempt for those who are not members of their rarefied class. He also said that the media is in cahoots with these elites, that they peddle political narratives. And I was like, I had to do a bit of a double take because I was like, is this a thread from Reddit? Like, because I'm not sure that you get more elite than this fella. Like he has a well-documented track record of trying to sway elections and peddle political narratives. He's one of the most influential and rich blokes on the planet. And in Australia, News Corp owns 70% of Australian newspapers. So yeah, absolutely an elite. Mm. Yeah, it is a bit of a confusing narrative he's putting out there given his power. Absolutely. And there's massive backlash to the federal government's COVID inquiry, which was announced yesterday. So the main criticism is that it won't investigate the decisions of the state premiers who were responsible for some of the most controversial decisions, including lockdowns, Mm -hmm. shutting down schools, 
um, managing their state's hotel quarantine, contact tracing and state border closures. This seems like a wild thing to omit. There's other criticisms that it also won't have the power of a royal commission or be conducted by an esteemed judge. So instead, it'll be conducted by a three-person panel, which includes an economist, an epidemiologist and public administration expert. But they have no coercive powers. Mm. Um, And so it has been condemned, and I think rightly so, is not going far enough. Australia's Human Rights Commissioner Lorraine Finlay has slammed the inquiry, saying that excluding the state and territory governments means key aspects of our response will go unexamined. Things like, you know, those who are unable to fly into state to bury a parent or the fact that uh, Victoria had the world's longest lockdown. Yeah, and that's about accountability for those decisions, but it's also about learning all of the lessons. You know, those decisions are really important to unpack not just for that political Mm. accountability, but just to work it out for next time. So if we don't do that properly and we face some of those situations again sometime soon, hopefully we don't, but if we do... We want to know what was right and what was wrong. Absolutely. I think we can have a bit of understanding that a lot of politicians didn't know necessarily what they were doing. It's a once in a hundred year pandemic, as we often hear. Mm. So what can we learn from this so we do it better next time? Yeah, there was some really strong critique in the financial review from Phil Khoury, who's, you know, pretty um, mild-mannered sort of political commentator. Mm. And he said, look, the premiers were able to run over the top of Scott Morrison during the pandemic. Yep. And they're doing it again over Anthony Albanese now, these Labor premiers with a lot of power who don't want to be called to account here. That's his view, not mine. But you see the sort of anger that this decision from Anthony Albanese is causing. And Australia is set to hold, get ready for this, an academic conference on Taylor Swift. It'll be called a Swift Posium. Are you ready for it? So this is a world-first international three-day conference. It will be held in February next year, which is the same week Swift Era's tour will be in Australia. So the event will examine the pop star's influence on politics, the economy, pop culture and, of course, the music industry. Yeah, I guess there's a lot to learn from Taylor Swift, isn't there? Um, I don't remember a, a pop star getting this kind of academic analysis, though, at any point. It's pretty interesting, isn't it? I can't remember any musician who's as revered and influential, especially amongst young people, that Taylor Swift is. Just this week, she's been rallying young people to 18-year-olds to enrol or to register to vote in the elections. And some early reports that have come out of the US suggest that she single-handedly got 36,000 new people registered to vote. Yeah, wow. Um, the other thing that they'll look at at this symposium is the way she markets herself. It's going to be a Taylor Swift marketing masterclass. I do think that's one of her strengths. She still comes across as super independent, and that partly comes mm. from writing her own tunes, which is one of her great strengths. But the way she keeps this yeah, image of someone who's in control of her own destiny, who drives her own business, um, who is standing right behind her art, um, it creates this powerful, strong image um, that I think really has longevity, which I think is another one of her huge strengths. And all the while, just seeming like a really nice chick you'd want to have a drink with. All right, catch you later, Antoinette. I'm about to go deep on this idea of age verification for porn. Our guest, Daniel Principe, is passionate about introducing age restrictions on porn so that kids aren't exposed to imagery that messes up their idea of sex and healthy relationships. 
He works for a group called Collective Shout, giving workshops in schools about navigating healthy relationships in an age of the internet and porn. Now, given the availability of porn on smartphones and the impossibility of controlling how graphic or unhealthy or even violent some of that imagery can be, it's something most people agree on that we need to be really careful about what gets into the hands of children. But how we do it is a much more complex question because it involves the privacy of the millions of adults who still use porn and are happy to do so. So earlier this year, the East Safety Commissioner had done a lot of work on this and they gave the government a roadmap to age verification. They recommended introducing a pilot. But a few weeks ago, the government responded and said, basically, not yet. Let's see what the porn industry can come up with first. Collective Shout and three dozen other leading voices have signed a letter now, an open letter, calling on the government to change its decision. Daniel, thanks for joining us on The Briefing. It's good to be here, Tom. So let's start by talking about the challenge we're up against here, which is minimising the damage that porn can do to young minds. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, every day I'm in Australian schools. Uh, I spoke to 21,000 young people last year and trending similarly this year, hearing what's going on in their online lives. And so a few weeks ago, I was in Western Sydney speaking with year four, year five, year six boys. And I always at the beginning want to get as much info as I, as I can out of them before I kind of supplement that. And I say, boys, how many of you are like, you know, seeing sex bots and, and pop-ups for inappropriate things that you guys know you shouldn't be seeing? And these year four, year five, year six boys from a relatively conservative area, put their hands up and 60, 70% of them had said, yeah, that that's happened to us. Wow. Year four, five, six. So nine, 10, 11 years old. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. And again, they're not bad or wrong that that's happened to them. They, I said, boys, where's this happening? YouTube, uh, TikTok, not that they should be on there. Uh, where else? They're gaming Discord chats. So these pop-ups are happening. They all knew about OnlyFans. They all had seen pornographic pop-ups, advertisements, and these sex bots. And they giggle and that. And it was helpful for them because they think they're in trouble. They think they've done something wrong. Where I'm reassuring them, saying, boys, this isn't your fault. You didn't create this, you know, but this is where the adults have to step in and help them navigate this. And of course, what we're here to hopefully talk about today is what the government can do to help little boys like that not have to make such difficult decisions mm. and smart decisions. So give us a bit more context for those conversations you're having with school kids. Are these collective shout workshops in yeah, school? Yeah, so we go across uh, schools uh, all across the country and uh, speak about this. I was in a state school in, in Sydney earlier this week and hearing from their year eight and year nine mm. students. And I mean, by that stage, they, they've all had to deal with this. This is all mm. fair game. They're having to navigate this. And I think for us as adults and for policymakers and MPs is to really try as best as we can empathize with the worlds of young people. Like when I was going through adolescence. I got my first phone in year 10. It was a Nokia 3310. It limits the amount of carnage I, I can my, cause. Yeah, I got my first phone at the age of 19. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm another half a generation older than you probably. Um, the only place you found pornographic magazines were like ones that have been thrown out yep. or at the news agency or someone's dad. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. Discovering a stash somewhere. Yeah. It was pretty hard to <laughs> access. Back some weird memories, but it's totally different now with smartphones. Totally different. And so these boys are being bombarded with it and obviously young girls too, but to a lesser extent, it very much seems to be in the online spaces of young boys where they're having to navigate this. One of the ways we can limit the availability of all kinds of porn, getting to people that are way too young to be seeing it is an age verification system. Mm -hmm. And that's what's being debated at the moment. So 
as we touched on at the start of the episode, um, the e-safety commissioner recommended a, an age verification trial, yep. but the government have said not yet. Yep. It could be a few years away because mm-hmm. they want to hear what the industry's doing first and find the right technological solutions. Yep. You're not happy with that reaction? No, I mean, there's a whole group of us, dozens of advocates and experts all across Australia, child safety uh, advocates and uh, violence prevention advocates uh, who are saying, no, we actually need to trial this pilot. It's a pretty modest request to say, hey, can we trial a pilot as per eSafety's recommendation? And just so everyone knows, this had bipartisan committee support. There was the Protecting the Age of Innocence report that was a bipartisan committee that recommended eSafety to find this, this roadmap. Part of this was, let's implement a pilot. Now, we want the whole thing implemented, which just this week we've seen in the UK, they've passed legislation to go ahead with this. And so this is what we're advocating for here as one barrier There is no perfect solution, but one barrier to limit this unforeseen and unsought after pop-ups, like 70 plus percent of exposure to porn for young people is not them curious, not them trying to make sense of maybe a conversation Mm. at school. It is what I've just described young boys are dealing with. And surely as a society, we can say, hey, we don't want that for eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 year old kids. Okay. So how would it work if it was implemented? So I trust that the, the tech is there. That was where there's a bit of debate is what mm. happens to the data, what happens to the privacy of, of users, et cetera, et cetera. The Age Verification Providers Association has huge question and responses to all of this dealing with those very legitimate concerns. But again, this has already been rolled out elsewhere. These providers have already delivered age verification in um, contexts like Facebook, Instagram, OnlyFans. And so that's all been done already. One of them, and I'm not going to name names, mm. is, has delivered 600 million age verification checks already. And they do that through a selfie and the data is instantly disappeared. A lot of it is double blind. Okay. So that that's quite interesting. Like you talk about a double blind selfie mm-hmm. verification system. Obviously people, I guess we're talking about people over 18 who would legitimately be able to access porn sure. if they went through this. Mm-hmm. That's millions of people potentially taking a selfie as they're about to watch porn. Sure. That's difficult. That would raise a lot of privacy concerns. Sure. So the website requesting and the provider doesn't know what they're for. Mm. That's where it's double blind. And so that's all there, all explained. There's lots of different ways that this is actually conducted. And to be honest, I just trust eSafety to work with these guys, given that there is been certification in Germany, in the UK, there's committees, there's standards that they all have to adhere to. And that's like the EU's light years ahead on this. They've already done all that groundwork, hence it's being rolled out there in in US states and India. And so that all exists. Uh, I think it's just up to the eSafety Commission to determine what is the best course of action for this. So would it mean that every single person that accesses porn would have to prove that they're over 18? That's right. Right. Online. You can understand why that's a challenging proposition. I I get what we're trying to achieve here, Mm -hmm. but for everyone to have to do that, that'd be so embarrassing for a lot of people. It might be, but it's also just the same as we've all had to give up our ID and identify us every time we go on MyGov or other sites. Yeah, but that's not embarrassing. People are embarrassed by watching porn, even though they do you think so? I don't know if I accept that. I mean, some people just watch porn, and that's just what they watch. You know? Yeah, 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 but. That's in a private context. I mean, context. I don't. I don't. But, you know, like, that's, yeah. that's, that's what people do. And I don't necessarily know that's the case. And I just think, like, we're so used to having to, to do this. They might not be embarrassed to do it in private, but they might be embarrassed to imagine, like, their photo ending up in the wrong place connected to that. Sure. You know, that's why people sticky tape 
their webcams and all kinds of stuff. Sure. It doesn't necessarily have to be that kind of software. That's just mm. one example that I said is already being used with Instagram, Facebook, and OnlyFans in other parts of the world. So it, it already exists. I think like a lot of things, um, people will eventually normalize that this is just a, a decision that we've made as a society because ultimately we should be protecting the rights and well-being and safety of children ahead of the profits of the global porn industry, which is a yeah. $100 billion industry. Like we just have to err on the side of children's well-being which all these advocates, all these signatories have come together to say, surely this is the priority of a nation, which is to protect its most vulnerable citizens. Mm. How comprehensive do you think this kind of age verification system could be? Because I imagine it's so difficult on the internet to police the whole thing. Mm -hmm. You've got international providers, you know, basically anyone can create a website and potentially post really horrific porn, Mm -hmm. could we really stop it all? Or would there still be ways of getting around the age verification system and having young people still accessing horrific stuff? From what I've read is that there's significant consequences. And I think when you're seeing things like in the UK where they're wanting to find these companies 10% of their revenue or up to 30-something million Australian dollars, like there's serious mm. consequences. So it's, there's no silver bullet. There will mm. always be process. There will have to be legislation and consequences that go alongside this, as well as education. Like we're all, Hence, we're in the education space. I'm delivering education every week in Australia. There is no simple solution. This is one barrier that mm. will stop, especially those very young children being exposed. And given the harms and the rising child-on-child sexual assaults, sexual harassment that we're seeing, this is surely just a no-brainer in those instances. So the government have essentially pushed this off into the future, Mm -hmm. this recommendation of a trial from the safety commissioner. Where to from here? Are you hoping they reverse that decision? I'm hoping that given the pressure that's now mounting, most Australians want this for children. They recognise that this is an obvious, simple solution that could be implemented to spare children a lot of harm. So I would love to see the whole thing implemented. Right now, we're just saying, let's implement a pilot. Yes, we're doing other things in this space, but let's implement a pilot. Let's trial this, see its effectiveness, and then continue to roll it out like the rest of the world is pressing on with right now. So how much pressure is mounting on the government? Well, we've seen the Royal Commissioner, uh, Robert Fitzgerald, come and speak out against this. Uh, We've seen parenting gurus from Maggie Dent, Steve Bidoff. We've seen John Rouse, who is our leading child sexual abuse investigator. We've seen people like Jess Hill, Michael Professor Salter, Professor Flood, Chanel Contos, Grace Tame, Mm. Harry Harry James have all joined in the chorus, young and old, saying, hey, no, we need this. We, We need this. We need to press on. We need to take every opportunity we can to advocate for something that is available, that has been recommended. That was Daniel Principe from Collective Shout. Be really interesting to see if this letter has any impact. They are some really well-respected voices calling on the government to do something much sooner, not waiting any longer to protect our young people from the ways that porn can influence them. Be interesting to see if they get a reaction. All right, that's it for your Monday to Friday briefing. In the weekend briefing tomorrow, Jamila is going to interview Hugh Van Seilenberg. Um, He's the host of the Imperfects podcast. Um, He does workshops in schools all around the country and in sporting teams, all kinds of places on resilience. Um, He's a really interesting guy who's really having a big moment. So Hugh Van Seilenberg talking to Jamila on the weekend briefing tomorrow. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back Monday. And a big thank you to our hardworking team here at The Briefing. Listener.